Father, humble our hearts. We know that you are in control, absolute control. And when we uh, come and gather each week, week in and week out, Lord God, we have the privilege and honor to sing of your faithfulness, to praise your holy name. Father, so as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that uh, this would resonate deep within our souls, Lord God, that you are on your throne, that you are in control, that you are ever faithful. You've proven this through your son. We have nothing, there's nothing else that you needed to do. Father God, we just need to look to the cross. Help us to have a wider angle of who you are, to look deeper in your word. So as we dive into the text this morning, I pray that your word would permeate our souls, Lord God, and you would teach us through it. I pray that you'd help me to step aside, Father God, and I pray that your spirit would move amongst your people. This with all my heart. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So, we're in Ezra 7, so you can go ahead and turn with me to Ezra 7 as we continue in our study. But I want to take a moment uh, in kind of the intro and just uh, reflect over something. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I came across uh, a documentary series called The American Gospel. Who all's watched it? Anybody? Okay. Uh, not enough of you have. So uh, we've, we've talked about even from a church, maybe per, perhaps getting a license where we can all have just a, a group time where we can watch it together and discuss. Uh, but lo and behold, it's, it's a fantastic documentary. And what it's doing is it's taking a look at uh, the health and wealth gospel, uh, the emerging church movement and the spoken word ministries uh, and really kind of analyzing them uh, for their prominence because they're, they're making inroads across the U.S., yes, but uh, they have a global impact, uh, and I don't think many people know that. And these m movements uh, have untethered themselves from the foundations of the Scriptures uh, and allowed for many false beliefs to creep in. So this documentary, these, uh, these uh, writers uh, seek to kind of expose this, and how do they expose it? They actually go back to the Word of God and compare these movements together. And what we see is these movements have completely uh, un unhinged themselves from the gospel. Uh, but as I watched the videos, it became clear to me that this uh, was truly an indictment, right, on the American church at large and her witness around the world. Like it or not, what is often peddled in foreign context from those of us in the West is not anything that would resemble biblical, faithful, orthodox Christianity. It's more often a false god with a false gospel of health and wealth uh, tethered to a false god. It's demeaning, it's deplorable, degrading, and destitute, leaving those left in its wake as helpless. It robes the true heart of the gospel rooted in Christ and, pla it, and places it apart. And what does it put on the heart of mankind? The God of self. And this is just idol worship. But how do these false gospels grow to such prominence within American religious life? Uh, and I dare not call this Christian because at its center there is no Christ that we see there. Primarily, this slow downward spiral into heresy and false doctrine came when men and women would no longer listen to what? The Word of God. You move to something else. Yet the same Jesus that stepped on the scene, right, to give His true, in fact, voice said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and, there, and he is a sure voice for us. But you discover about this, this Christ in the Gospels, in the very Word of God. So what did, what did this movement do? They've exchanged the truth for lies. They've traded God for little g-gods called idols, uh, which are no gods at all. Now millions have been caught into the snares, and they're lost. They're fumbling about in the darkness. 
And with them they dragged down countless others, all because they would not return to where real hope can be found and by rejecting the very means to truly discover this hope, which is through the Word of God. And that leads us to our text this morning in Ezra 7. So turn with me again into Ezra 7. And let me give a little background. So we've been, we've been covering Ezra now for the last few weeks as Taylor's gone through it um, chapter by chapter, and we now find ourselves in Ezra 7. Now what's happened prior to this, right, is uh, you've had a first wave of Israelites returning back to their homeland, escaping from the captivity of the Babylonians. And here, what they sought to accomplish in chapters 1 through 6 was the establishment of the altar and the temple. They rebuilt these. But you and I both know that true worship does not come about just because of a building, right? It is centered around God's righteous decrees. Now, it has been over 50 years, this is where we find ourselves in Ezra 7, since the Lord uh, took that first wave uh, to Israel. And, it, and Ezra is now raised up uh, in this new wave. So what happens in this new section in Ezra 7 that will finish out through, uh, through chapter 10 is that God's people are now going to be reconstituted, uh, not just to a building, not to a place, but they're going to be constituted under God's Word. And that's what Ezra set out to do. So first God rebuilds the place of worship, but now he's rebuilding the hearts of his people under his law. See, true worship must involve absolute obedience. And And I dare not miss the opportunity here to draw an immediate connection before we even dive in this morning to Christ for us. Because Christ himself would declare the connection to the kingdom of God where God's children would once again be able to worship the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how did they do this? It's this same Messiah that would give further description of the law showing that no man, so no matter, even in this context, Ezra set about to know the Lord even through there, he couldn't fulfill it. So no man can fulfill the law of God outside of knowing their Redeemer. Therefore, all people need a sacrifice sufficient to pay for their sin and constant inability to maintain the laws of God. For soon after Ezra's time, the people of God would once again fall back into rebellion and disillusionment. They'd try to put hedges around the law and and do things that God did not require of them, all thinking that they were being obedient. Meanwhile, their hearts were becoming ever calloused and closed off to the movement of the Spirit. Because like it or not, no human could possibly fulfill the law that God requires. Christ then, according to the letter of Hebrews, becomes, what to us? A great high priest. In the likeness of Ezra, but unlike Ezra, he is also the perfect sacrifice to protect God's people from the wrath of God because he was able to keep the law perfectly. See, we're like Ezra and all those Israelites. We need a Messiah. But unlike Ezra, we're not a people that are still waiting, but who can see clearly from our vantage point the Messiah has actually already come. So the central truth this morning in Ezra 7, I want you to see, that boils to the surface clearly, is when God brings revival to his people, it is always centered around his word. We get this because right there in Ezra, we're going we're gonna to reference 710 multiple times, but for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it his statutes and rules in Israel. And then you wrap around that the context where multiple times Right there in verse 6, the hand of the Lord was on him. Right there in verse, verses 9, right before this, the hand of the Lord was on him. And right there at the end of our passage, the hand of the Lord was on him. So revival is going to break forth through his people. The people the, the, so the second wave is coming to Israel. And what is going to happen here is Ezra is going to focus on the word. 
In order for the people of God to rightly worship their Savior, they must truly understand his word. For the one true and living God is not far off and aloof, uh, but so near that he condescends to us and communicates directly with his creation, which is the very reason that we have a Bible at all, because God himself has communicated to us. God has spoken in his word, and we learn who he is and who we are. In his word, we discover our sinful rebellion, God's just wrath, and complete grace for us. We see the salvation of the perfect God-man, Jesus, as the sacrifice that would bring us back into relationship to God. Through his word, we discover our mission to continue to take the good news of the gospel to the world that is around us. All of this culminating in perfect worship before a throne on which sits the Ancient of Days, the Great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, the Unmoved Mover, the Beginning and the End. And as we'll see this morning, Ezra is one who sets his heart to study, learn, and teach this very word to a new generation of Israelites. They have no idea what's coming. They're ex- Thus, setting the stage for God to do something amazing through his people. And we should desire no less than this today. We have spent the last month, think about this, in 2021, praying and seeking through the Lord, through prayer and fasting, that he would move in mighty ways. And I got news for you, church. We're not done praying and fasting and continuing to beseech the Lord on behalf of those that are lost. We know that the Lord is going to do something amazing in our midst, and we need to be prepared to accept that. When speaking about revival, Leonard Ravenhill uh, clearly wrote uh, that, Oh, that believers would become eternity conscious. If we could live every moment of every day under the eye of God, if we did every act in the light of the judgment seat, if we sold every article in the light of the judgment seat, if we prayed every prayer in the light of the judgment seat, if we tithed all our possessions in light of the judgment seat, if we preachers prepared every sermon with one eye on damned humanity and the other on the judgment seat, then we would have a Holy Ghost revival that would shake his earth and that in no time at all, all would liberate millions of precious souls. Is that what you want? Is that what you're excited about? Are you here this morning, guys? Do you, do, you, do you get this? This is exciting news. Revival has the potential to break out amongst our midst, but it's going to happen as we tether ourselves to God's words. And what will happen? We see this clearly. When the hand of the Lord is on us. When the hand of the Lord is on us right here in Ezra, we see he shows his faithfulness. So look with me right here in verses 1 through 10. We see that now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son, and I'm not going to go through all, but right there at the end, son of Aaron, the chief priest. In other words, Ezra has a lineage that goes all the way back to Aaron, the first, first priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses and the Lord. The God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all that he had asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Under, underline that. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, the some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of God was on him. Underline it again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it his statutes and rules. So we see right here from the beginning, we see the Lord is doing something amazing. Because Ezra has an impressive heritage, right? Uh, Leading all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. 
Uh, it's like God had been preparing for this moment, like he was ready to reveal his ace in his back pocket. For before, But before we quickly really move on away from the names, we need to stop and think uh, about kind of the grand meaning of it all. You can sit there. There's, there's reasons why God himself places lists for us in the scriptures. Um, it's obvious that Ezra is qualified to be the priest, right, because he has this impeccable record. But clearly God's manifold wisdom and care for his people shows up because when everything seems to be at its worst, God was preparing a way for his people to come back in pure worship. He was preparing Ezra. He kept the line of Aaron secure. He preserved the book of the law while the people were in exile. He softened the king's heart to look favorably on his people so that they could reestablish worship to the Lord. It was the Lord's sovereign hand at work the entire time. He is faithful, and let us not miss the connection to us today, because Ezra's pedigree is our pedigree. Think about this for a moment with me. He was a descendant from Aaron, the first priest, and we are descended from who? Christ, who is the great high priest of a new and better covenant, according to Hebrews 8. Like our great high priest, we are part of a new covenant bought with his blood. And this new priesthood is set apart to bring worship into the house of the Lord once again. The Apostle Peter talks about it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in this new role, each one of us is to grow further into the knowledge of Christ. We know that from Hebrews 4. Uh, In this knowledge, we are to proclaim his excellencies to the next generation. We continue this process. Jesus, the one who is the founder and author of our faith, faith, bids us to go. And how does he do this? In Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily clings closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me drive this beautiful picture home for you this morning. I am a descendant of Ruby Nally. And she is, yes, my grandmother, but she's not that only. She's actually my spiritual mother because she was faithful to share the gospel with me and show me my sin and to lead me to the foot of the cross so that I could become a child of the living God as well. So I stand in a heritage of which you stand in a heritage that spans back all the way in eternity past into the mind of God. God is preparing a way. What's wrapped up in this long list is not just a bunch of names uh, to show Ezra's line of descent, but to show God's ultimate faithfulness to his children. This also brings to mind the story of Elijah when he's fleeing for his life and he's lamenting before the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He stops him in midst track and says, you don't know what's going on, Elijah. And think about it for a second. Paul reflects on this in Romans. And he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Because we get confused sometimes. We think somehow because of persecution, right, or because things don't necessarily go our way, that somehow God uh, is not on his throne and still not in control. But has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? He says, Lord, They've killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But 
What is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have, now bowed the knee to, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by God. God is faithfully and continually building his church. And we must realize that he is still showcasing his faithfulness today. It hasn't stopped. We can see this clearly by looking at Ezra's life right here in this section. What, is he, what does God do in his faithfulness? He raises up a godly leader. We see that right there in, in verse 10 again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and, and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. As the Lord's hand was continuing on Ezra, he set his heart to study the word and do it. God is forever raising up new leaders, right, for each new generation so that the church will also be a witness to the godless. Ezra is seen as leading a new exodus out from their captors. He is a new kind of Moses figure that is leading the Israelites once again out of captivity and out of bondage and back to their homeland. It's a powerful picture that we dare not miss in its significance because Christ himself would later become the true Moses who would lead an exodus unlike any other from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout every age. The question is, are we still allowing the Lord to teach us and to use us to funnel this amazing exodus? Is he still using our lives to draw more people to himself? So God raises up new leaders from amongst us. But he also equips them to teach the church. That's what Ezra had said. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord so that he could teach it to others. The natural outflow of Ezra's continual devotion to the word soon became a desire to spread it, to teach others. So this first wave of Israelites, although they were eager to worship the Lord, did not know how to faithfully walk before him. Think about the time gaps that have happened to them. They do not understand what is going on. So they're, they're trying to walk back to the Lord. And think about that within your own life as you've tried to get back to the Lord in your own merits. And here, Ezra's going to be able to step into the scene and provide clarity for the people of Israel. They built the altar and temple for worship, but as David wrote in Psalm 51, true sacrifices to the Lord are not found in the blood of animals, but in hearts that are submitted to the Lord. After all, their forefathers had been exiled because of their failure to keep the law, yet at the time of their destruction and exile, they were sacrificing in the temple. They were doing the things, but their hearts weren't close to the Lord. Now these Israelites in Ezra's time need to be taught the ways of the Lord again. They needed a guide. The Lord was faithful to raise up that guide. And, in the same, and it's the same for us today when we hear the heart of Christ's command in the Great Commission. You see, the true heart of discipleship is wrapped up in the Great Commission. To see that it is our responsibility to teach the truth of the Lord to those who express faith in Christ. To teach others in, is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So you are all teachers. The question is whether you're a good one or not, right? So he raises up leaders, right? He, he emboldens them to teach. But it doesn't stop with just the practical things that happen. What happens is an overwhelming joy that bubbles up to the surface that we can't contain. So God then gives them passion for the Lord's glory. And we see that later on. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Uh, at verse 28, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered the leading men from Israel. So he took courage. And this is just an, has an idea of, of just a great passion for the Lord. That he, that he was solid in him. Notice that Ezra set his heart right there in verse 10. This is determined right in his heart, which spells out marked devotion to the Lord. Not only did Ezra want to study the law, this wasn't just a cerebral exercise for him, but in his knowing, he wanted to respond in obedience, right? And to teach others and 
also that they, so that they could have a worshipful heart. We have almost a mere image in Paul's instruction to Timothy, right? In 2 Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to see each other's also. These faithful men and women cannot rest and must see the Lord's glory spread around the world. So when the hand of the Lord is on us, he shows his faithfulness. We see this. And he generously provides from his bountiful wealth. So Ezra has gained favor from the king because of the Lord, according to verse 6. Now we see the Lord pouring out blessing through the provision of a pagan king. And he already did this earlier in Ezra, right with the first remnant that went back. Here, and here's just a detailed, and we're going to read through this whole section here because it's a long passage. But here are just the, de- the, the snippets of what the Lord provided and how specific they were to what needed to happen. More exiles were allowed to return in verse 13. Ezra can evaluate the state of Judah and Jerusalem according to the Torah, verse 14, not according to the laws of the land. The king sends silver and gold, his provision, verse 15. Ezra can take a free will offering to fur- for further money, so he can just ask, and anybody that desires to give can give, verse 16. The funds are for the worship of the temple, and anything left over can be used at Ezra's discretion, just ultimate blessing, verse 17 and 18. More temple vessels are given back, those things that were required for the people of Israel to, to enact perfect worship before the Lord, verse 19. If they need more funds, they can get them from the king's treasury, verses 20. The king provides a decree for Ezra to the treasurers, to the, those that were across the way, right, near their province, that he could demand money from them if they needed it, verse 21 through 23. Those that are to serve the temple are tax-exempt, verse 24. Ezra may raise up judges who know the Torah and can teach the people also, verse 25. And Ezra is enabled to enforce the law with the, with the backing of the king, verse 26. You think the Lord provided for him? You bet you about a bottom dollar he did. Ezra was abundantly provided for, and notice the purposes of this provision. Verse 23, look with me real quick. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. This is in the letter of King Artaxerxes. This provision was bountifully given because of the worship of the Lord, for the worship of the Lord. All the gold, all the silver, the vessels from the first temple that were left, whatever else Ezra deemed necessary, he was allowed to ask for to accomplish this task. And it's not for the people to spend on their own wants, but for the continuation of the worship of the Lord. And the Lord is showing us a wonderful truth. All of this abundance flows out of the generosity of a pagan king, for all of the earth belongs to the Lord. Psalm 50 says it this way, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. The Lord did not need anything from the Israelites, for he was more than capable of providing for the people what they needed in order to properly worship him. And this is the consistent testimony of God's people throughout history. None truer to me than when we look at the life of George Mueller. Take a moment, uh, if you've never read about George Mueller, and go read his book, Answers to Prayer. Uh, George Mueller read an, uh, led an orphanage of over 10,000 orphans over the span of his life uh, that he devoted there. And all of it was built on prayer. Never once did he ask for anything directly from someone, but it was all built on prayer. And Answers to Prayer is his cataloging where he had journaled specific prayers and their answers that were delivered to him, and you would see it over and over and over again, not once. Specific things like, hey, they ran out of milk, and a, 
literally the milkman lost a tire right outside their orphanage and the milk was going to go bad and hey, he brought milk. Like talk about the, the beautiful provision of the Lord. So, and this was accomplished solely through prayer. So take a look at this, take a look at that book. I recommend it to you. And what we should see there, right, is, is coming straight, straight from James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When the hand of the Lord is on us, he shows his faithfulness. He generously provides from his bountiful wealth, and he produces worship leading to bold action. So right down here at the end, we see, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors. And before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Ezra cannot help but praise the Lord for the Lord's protection in, this, in his favor. He's able to walk in pure confidence, knowing that ultimately this is the Lord's work, not his own. And again, we see the phrase, hand of the Lord, which really bookends this section. From the Lord's calling to the Lord's sending for Ezra, we see the hand of the Lord is on Ezra. Ezra is not relying on his own cunning, shrewd tactics, knowledge of the king, his elevated status to get what he wanted. It was the Lord's provision for him. Now, what is, what is it that Ezra set about to do? Right back at verse 10. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. He studied. The Lord allowed this to sink deep within his being so that he would go, so that he would be a guide, which would move him to action to teach others. And what a difference that obedience to the Lord makes. As I was reflecting over this passage, another figure quickly rose to mind in Israel's past, and that was for Joshua. Joshua, who would actually take the mantle from Moses before he died to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, listen to the Lord's words to him. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. It's the same word right here that Ezra is talking about. I took courage. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law. Oh, there you hear it again. That Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Think about this, this is diametrically opposed to what I was talking about earlier about the American gospel, where you untether yourself from the word so that you can have a God of your own choosing. Instead, God here is saying, no, you don't turn from the right or to the left. You think steadfastly into my word, and it's through that that I will provide for you. But before we start believing that this is only for the select few, like it's only for Joshua, no, this is the Lord's declaration to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Have you ever been timid because you were unsure if something was the Lord's will or not, so you didn't move forward with it? Or perhaps, I hope more importantly, you, you did move forward because you had full confidence, so you moved forward in courageous action because you knew the Lord was behind you. See, our calling is clear, church. Our destination is certain, and the Lord will pave the way for us. Church, do not believe for one second that our calling to be courageous is any different than Joshua, is any different than the people of Israel, is any different for Ezra. 
We are to know the Lord and to make him known. The same strength and the power is at work in us today as we seek the Lord to know him as we go to the lost to call more worshipers to himself. I mean, this is the call of William Carey, right? That he, this is the person that was the father of modern missions. And he, in his time, had to call up and stir up the people because the people had become complacent. They had thought that they were, uh, that they had achieved global evangelism, that it had happened, and yet William Carey uh, scathingly writes to them that this is, this is clearly not done, that the heart of the gospel mandates that we continue to go forward into uh, the dark corners of the globe. And when he challenges them, I just want you to kind of take this. This is from, uh, this is from one, a part of his article. Think about this. Let it settle in on your heart. We must not be content, however, praying without exerting ourselves in the use of means for the obtaining of those things we pray for. We're the children of light, but as wise as their generation as the children of this world, they would stretch every nerve, stretch every nerve to gain so glorious a prize, nor ever imagine that it was to be obtained in any other way. In other words, the same courage that Ezra took and then he took a bold action William Carey is speaking here to us even today that we are called out. And we, how can we not be any different than the world? When we see something, the prize that is waiting for us, which is far greater, we should go. We have immense value in that. We go because we are compelled to with every fiber of who God created us to be. And we have a glorious, rich story to tell. We will sing of this great riches from the Lord uh, who calls us home. We will bow our heads and hearts in humble petition until the Lord breaks forth in revival. Ezra experienced this power because of a humble desire to know God more intimately. And it changed the course of an entire group of people, which would ultimately set the stage for the coming Messiah centuries later to come and to see. So church, how do we apply this to us today? I've got three takeaways for you. Very simple um, that I hope that you can apply this week. One, I want you to ask for the Lord to to show you one area of your life where you're doubting his goodness and faithfulness. If you're forgetting, go right back here in the middle section of Ezra 7 and see his direct provision, knowing that God is faithful to provide for you. God is faithful to draw you closer to himself. So what is that one area that the Lord's laying on your heart where you're doubting his goodness, where you're doubting his faithfulness? Number two, I want you to find someone this week and share with them the bountiful gifts that the Lord has given you. And how can you do this? You can do that spiritually. Through sharing the gospel directly with somebody. Maybe it's your neighbor, co-worker, relative. Relationally, spend time. People are hurting, right? In, in this time of separation from one another, people are, are, are hurting. I know this because my counseling load's con- constantly increasing with people that are, are just, uh, but they're broken because of their isolation. So who can you connect with relationally? And then physically. Who is it that the Lord's calling you that, to loosen up your hands on what you have to provide for someone else who is truly in need so that that provides an inroad for the gospel? So that's part two. And three, we've been talking a lot about intense discipleship uh, over the last, uh, last few weeks, and we've talked about the GO Conference. So as every follower of Christ is called to teach the ways of the Lord, uh, we need to know and have a practical process of how we want to accomplish that. So if you haven't already signed up for the GO Conference, I recommend that you sign up for that. 
so that we can all kind of develop together our own personal schemes of ways that we want to establish intentional discipleship with others around us so that we can continue to affect the next generation, to equip them to go forward with the gospel. And we want to continue to do that. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, I pray as we look to Ezra 7 and we see Ezra's heart, that he set to know you, know your word, and to not just know it, but to do it, to actually accomplish that work, and then to go teach others also. We see within that our clear mandate. For Christ, you have totally rescued us, given us new hearts, new hearts that desire to be obedient to your word. And in your word, you tell us to go. So I know there's some here, Lord God, that that they don't know you. And I pray that you're just working on their heart. Dealing with uh, people removed from us and a culture far removed from us, that still your word bears fruit. You're still teaching us. You're still growing us. You're still showing us who you are and your sovereign control. You're not done with your people. I know there's some here, Lord God, that um, they feel like they've been on the sidelines for a long time. They just haven't thought. Maybe they're just not confident. Maybe they just don't um, see their calling as secure or that's, that's for the paid staff or those guys that, you know, really bold, but that teaching thing, that's, that's really not for me. And I just pray that you'd convict hearts right now. For the calling of the gospel is clear, that we see it in the Great Commission. We are to go into all the world. We are to spread this good news of the gospel. We are to teach all of this. We all are. We're all teachers. So impact us this morning. Spirit, have you?